Hello and welcome to the Biology of Business. I'm Kate and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Diane Conkin, who's across the other side of the Atlantic. Good afternoon. Good morning for you, Diane. Uh, yes, it's good morning. It's 9am here, so starting my day, but happy to do that with you. So Diane, can you just explain to the listeners a little bit about your background and your journey to where you are now? Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, that's a in a few minutes, I'll try to do that. But um, I grew up in a home um, that was a little bit distant. My parents stayed together for the children. Uh, my dad had a rough upbringing on a farm in, with, you know, European parents. And my mom also, like her parents were both immigrants. And you know, just things were done differently back in the 40s, 50s, 30s when they were growing up, right? Um, and I find this with many of my clients that our parents, our grandparents, you know, depending on our age, were just raised in a different time, a different environment. It was much more strict. And in my home, you know, divorce was just, you know, in the 60s, it was not a thing you did especially with high profile professionals, which my parents were, and they didn't want people to talk and whatnot. So the home became a bit, um, like I said, distant, unpredictable, um, and often very uncomfortable. And this is the home I grew up in. And so needless to say, by the time I graduated high school, I was ready to leave. I was excited about my future and starting university. And then I met a man who became my husband um, really about a few months into being at school. And he was an amazing man. He was wonderful. He was an artist, a musician, a teacher. Uh, he was just a brilliant, brilliant man, and but very gentle and a beautiful soul. So we connected and ended up staying together for 27 years. And about seven years after we were together, he had what I could only call a nervous breakdown. And one night he just came home from uh, teaching a seminar at the university. And his prof the professor that was teach lecturing for the class questioned him on a paper that a student was arguing the grade. And he kind of collapsed. I think that was the straw that broke him. And this was a man later in the years after that, you know, I found out never liked himself. He was one of those high achievers that always strived for perfection, thinking they have something to prove. And this is literally like most of the corporate world out there. So many people I meet that say I got trapped in that pushing, pushing, pushing myself and never knowing joy in my life or being able to stop and spend time with my family and my friends. And so now I do this. I, I, as soon as I realized it, it got so bad, I had to pull myself out. And now my life is amazing, right? I didn't go into the corporate world. I went into working in um, production for live theater for many years, which was my first love, but psychology was my second. And because my husband suffered from depression for so long, he started to self-medicate and he was doing a lot of drinking, which eventually turned into an addiction, a substance use disorder. And he was in and out of rehab three times. And I supported him all through that because, 
you know, looking back, I thought, yeah, why am I staying with him? Because we say to women, like, why would you stay with a man that's abusive? And he was never physically abusive. Uh, when he was drinking, he got verbally abusive. But then I also knew that that wasn't him. That was a symptom of his illness, right? And when he was sober, when he came kind of through that, he would feel like many people struggling with alcohol use disorder. He would feel the guilt and the shame and the remorse. And he talked all the time because he was so articulate with his feelings. He talked about how he grew up with a mother who was depressed and a father who was an alcoholic and a gambling addict. And many people think that this is genetic. They say, oh, my parents, my mom had depression or my grandmother had depression. My mom had depression. So I'm going to get depression. And I say, it's not genetic. I mean, if you do the scientific research, less than 1% of our illnesses come from genes. And now there's this whole new method of genetics called epigenetics, how we from our environment can change and shift our genes. This is what evolution is based on, right? But I say it's not genetics, but it is generational because we live what we learn. We grow up watching the behaviors of our adults and our subconscious mind is what controls 95% of our behaviors and our actions and our decisions. And it is formed from observing and absorbing our environment between the ages of zero and seven. And this is the operating system that we use through our whole life. But now with the new research in neuroscience, we can now understand that those cycles of negative thinking, of our original wiring, of our old programming can completely be reversed comfortably and easily. And once my husband passed, it was 10, it's been 10 years this year, but I've had my practice for just about three years now. Uh, yeah, actually exactly three years. And uh, the reason I have my practice now is because I remember the pain he went through for so many years. And what I do now is I'm the founder and CEO of my company called Advanced Mind Health. And I like to say that is my no repeat client therapy practice, because I work with high profile professionals, just like my husband was, who struggle in silence. They don't tell people because there's still a stigma involved in not feeling your best, not feeling confident, not having that performance mindset. So I help my clients shift that very quickly. And that's how I ended up doing what I do now. And that's something I really wanted to bring up because it's something I picked up um, when we first connected was your story about how your husband was a professional still turning up to work, but at home dealing with this addiction. Absolutely. And so the audience is mostly practice owners who and, and healthcare professionals who will be perhaps seeing some people for, you know, let's say back pain, something not related to the addiction but have the opportunity to pick up information that might well otherwise be dismissed by a GP, perhaps where you're in and out in five minutes or three minutes or two minutes. Mm. But equally, there'll be plenty of, well, not plenty, but there will be health professionals in the same way that your husband was coping and turning up and doing a job and putting a face on and that are disguising their addictions in 
the workplace, but desperately wanting help or out of their out of their pain. Absolutely. And that is exactly where the addiction comes from, right? And we say substance use disorder now because we don't label the person like an addict. Because, you know, if somebody has cancer, we don't say they are cancer or they are cancerous. We say they have cancer. So this is exactly why we separate that now from the client. But the the this substance use or behavioral addiction, right? It could be shopping. It could be gambling. It could be eating. It could be, you know, like a food addiction, a sex addiction. It's all rooted in that same cause. And it's from the emotional pain because any addiction will be our minds driving us towards pleasure and away from pain right? It could be the television. It could be not being able to sit in your own thoughts. It could be needing to scroll through the phone because that is all avoiding how we really feel, right? And our minds learn that, oh, this is pleasure. Ice cream is pleasure. Okay. Somebody breaks up with you. Where is your mind going to tell you to go for the tub of ice cream? right? Your mind goes, oh, alcohol makes you more confident and more like accepting into the crowd. Then in order to belong, you're going to need to drink more, right? Like, so again, our subconscious mind is driving our behaviors, driving our thoughts and feelings because of the patterns that it has learned from our experiences. But in the beginning, those patterns form to protect us. But after a while, we can outgrow them or they continue and we say, whoa, okay, I need this habit to stop now because it's not fun anymore. It's now become unhealthy. But our minds don't know that. They keep going because we have to communicate to our minds on that subconscious level. So this is the same reason why willpower doesn't work, right? We try to change a habit or behavior every January, every New Year's. And I this is how I start my speeches sometimes. It's like, okay, how many in the room have tried to change a habit through sheer willpower and have succeeded? No one will put their hand up. And this is because, again, we are trying to change our habits with only 5% of our decision-making power. We're trying to change our habits without changing our thoughts. We have a habit of action and we have a habit of thought. And when our thoughts bubble up into our minds that tell us we're not good enough, we can't go to that event because I won't feel accepted. Nobody will talk to me. Uh, I can't stand up on stage and do a speech right? Because there's a risk of being rejected. There's a risk of people not liking me. And we have to understand how our minds work. We are all born wired, fearing rejection and craving connection because our minds still think we're living in the stone age and that we need a tribe to survive. Because the number one rule of the, or sorry, the number one job of the mind is to help us survive. Everything that we do our minds think that it's helping us survive. This is why we have our comfort zone, right? 
And when we do something that we haven't done before, it feels uncomfortable because our mind is saying, don't do that. It's unfamiliar because living in the stone age, if we were to go explore a new area of the jungle, that could be a threat to our survival. So we have the, the, um, the obligation to say to ourselves, meaning our mind, because our minds are always listening, always listening. I say to my clients, um, you know, our mind dry, does the driving, but we tell it where to go, right? So we have to say to ourselves, no, you don't have to give me that thought because I don't believe that if I get up on stage, then people are going to reject me because I'm an expert. I, I communicate well. I'm articulate. I know what I'm talking about. People are going to like what I have to say. And when you tell yourself those things repeatedly, because how does the mind learn through repetition? Then the next time you get up on stage, you're going to feel naturally much more comfortable because your mind is supporting you rather than sabotaging you. And going back to the pain in the body, this is your, your body is essentially a manifestation of your thoughts, right? If we think of something embarrassing, we'll blush, right? Or if we think of eating something that is not good for us, or, you know, one of those double dare eat this bug, like we'll get nauseous, right? Because it's a reflection of our thoughts. I worked with a client one time who had terrible neck pain. And like you said, she went to all kinds of doctors, chiropractors, physiotherapists. They all said, nope, there's nothing wrong with you. And when the doctors say that, you know, it's psychosomatic. So I did a session with her. We found out the root cause of it. We told her mind what she wanted to believe. She listened to a personalized audio that I gave her repeatedly for 28 days. But within days, all my clients feel that relief. Like, oh, my neck pain is gone, she said, you know? So sorry, I could talk about this forever, but <laughs> I'm sure you have more questions. I hope I answered that one. You did. You did indeed. So what I just wanted to pick up on was where you described how, or a few things that I've made notes on, but you described how there's this need for, we're born with this fear of rejection and need for connection. And that made me smile because I watched last night for the first time ever, this program Survivor. I don't know if you have an equivalent where two, two, two tribes yes. on an island, they have to connect and work together, but then they have to reject each other. And what was fascinating was the, and last night was really the first time I'd seen it, was the way people went about managing the fear of rejection in terms of some people had great integrity. This is who I'm going to reject. I'm not playing games. This is my reason why. Done. I followed through and wrote the name on the bucket, you know, to go in the bucket at the end to reject that person. Whereas others were completely manipulative game players. So it's quite interesting how you're picking these up as our, our innate needs and how different people will go about getting those needs met. And I'm curious to see, I am now going to watch the season to the end. I'm curious to see whether there's a chap, Nathan, that I thought was great and had great integrity. I'm curious to see whether integrity wins over manipulation at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll find well, out. Well, it all starts, Kate, really with what you tell yourself, right? Mm -hmm. If you tell yourself, because these players are all thinking through, right? Mm -hmm. 
that person is a threat, that person I have to make friends with, that person, how am I going to, you know, make my way to connect with that person? I have to be like them. I have to be this. I have to be that. It's all with the words you say to yourself. And that applies to any situation because we now know through the latest research in neuroscience that the way we feel about anything, the way we view the world, the way we see people, the way we have relationships are all come down to two things. The words we say to ourselves and the visualizations we create in our imagination right? Like somebody with social anxiety, what they tell themselves is they, they imagine going into an event, walking into a room. They imagine the worst. They imagine that they're going to be standing there alone. Nobody's going to want to speak to them. Everybody's going to kind of roll their eyes at them. No one's going to be warm and inviting to them and welcome them. They imagine all of this, but guess where those visualizations are coming from? They're coming from your subconscious mind. Your mind is showing you, this is why you shouldn't go to that event. Because why is it doing that? It's unfamiliar or it's it's got a certain uh, role of protection, right? But if your mind tells you, if these thoughts bubble up, um, critical inner voice, right? I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not thin enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I will never have this. No one will ever love me, right? Those bub- those thought bubbles, if, they, if we buy into them, if we sort of take them as if they're true, then they're going to repeat. This is one of the big... Um, I mean, it's 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 a neuroscientific fact, but um, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this a lot. He says neurons that fired together wired together. This is the repetition, right? And Joe Dispenza is one of the leading neuroscientists today. And you know, but we can change that. We don't have to believe or buy back into those thoughts that we're getting. We can say no. Nope. Uh, like when I first first started doing podcasts and media interviews. The first one I was really nervous for because it was unfamiliar to me, right? My mind was saying, you're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to mess up. You're going to dry. You're going to do all these things. And I said to myself, no, this is exciting. I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I can't wait to share my message. I can't wait to teach people how their mind works so they know they can change the thoughts they have. You know, and immediately the nervousness went away. So if I understood correctly, I remember reading a few years ago, Bruce Lipton's book, Biology of Belief, and it really nature nurture conversation and how important it emphasizes how important environment is. But then at the end, actually, how even more important is our perception of our environment. But what you're actually you're going a step further in terms of from what I recall in the book anyway, is our perception of ourselves that's so important, even more. So our perception of our environment and our perception of ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's where it starts with, right? That's how we interact with the world. And I'm a huge fan of Bruce Lipton as well, mostly because he said that, yes, these negative thought cycles can be reversed, but he says the only way that that can be done is through hypnosis. So this is what I do. And many people, you know, hypnosis really has 
a bad reputation in this, even in this millennial, because of, you know, the reputation that was given back um, in the early 20th century, all with to do with the stage hypnotists. But hypnotism goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, and it was first used for psychologists or sorry, by uh, or for um, psychological practices, right? to help alleviate those kinds of misconceptions and negative beliefs. And that's exactly what it is. it does today. It's really making a comeback. And it's not like a crazy woo thing, right? It's simply um, a focus on your thoughts, where if you relax your body, right, again, your subconscious mind is responsible for your motor functions. So if your body is relaxed, your subconscious mind doesn't have to think about that. And it can focus on your words. So it becomes much more receptive and accessible and suggestible. Stanford University just did a study on that in 2016, where they said people going into hypnosis, which is simply uh, being in a very relaxed state. Nobody can control what you do. Nobody can control what you say. The stage hypnotists are very different than hypnotherapy, extremely different. Um, and it's actually a heightened state of awareness where you can recall things much more easy, easier. Like I say to my clients, okay, I'm going to ask you a question and just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And they'll blurt out an answer and then they'll say, oh, that's really interesting. Wow. Like I said that, and they, then they'll say that makes perfect sense. And we look at that and I take them through a series of tools because that's how we reverse engineer what their mind is holding onto because your mind will form beliefs, but only hold on to them until you change them. And you can do that when you're working at a subconscious level much, much faster. So if what I'm understanding is correct is just saying affirmations alone without doing that other work in terms of addressing the pain or addressing your perception of yourself more deeply through hypnosis is perhaps not going to be enough because the affirmations are not congruent with your subconscious's perception of yourself? Well, yes, yes and no. I mean, with some people, like everyone is different, right? Someone's root causes may be very strong where your mind will be extremely resistant. Like uh, it'll take me maybe two sessions uh, in only one or two cases out of over 200 clients have I done a third session because their mind is really, really resistant. But then we just figure out why. Or... um. The other thing is if you spend, you know, 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day doing meditation and positive affirmations, and then the rest of the day beating yourself up, then you can see that that balance is not going to work. You mm -hmm. have to go into a meditative state, say the affirmations, and then also continue saying them and believing them in a conscious state as well. Like mm -hmm. one of the exercises I have um, some of my female clients do or that I've had do in the past is I say, okay, when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, really look at yourself and then smile and say, hello, beautiful. And they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. It's like, it takes practice, you know, because women of all, you know, people are taught that, you know, you need to be pretty, you need to look a certain way, you need to 
you know, be a certain size, a certain shape, a certain weight, or else you're not going to be good enough. And when we tell ourselves the opposite, when we can look in the mirror and actually repeat that to ourselves every day and every night, then our minds begin to believe it. We begin to see our beauty because Marissa Peer, who is my um, trainer and mentor, um, this, she is the one that um, created rapid transformational therapy, which is what I practice. Um, she's, she's got her latest book is called tell yourself a better lie, you know, which is all about tell yourself what you want to believe, not what your mind is telling you now, because what you want to believe is going to be far more closer to the truth than all of the negative things that your mind is telling you. So set your compass where you want it to be. And then everything else will start to Yep. And be consistent and be repetitive because how long do they say it takes to form a habit, right? Mm -hmm. 21 days minimum. So people, you know, say affirmations for a week, spend the rest of the day going, oh, that was stupid. I can't believe I did something so stupid, or I can't believe this, or I'm never going to, oh, I can't do that. Right. They spend the rest of the week beating themselves up. And then they're like, oh, affirmations don't work. Well, no wonder it's like, it's like telling a child, like praising a child for 10 minutes a day. And then the rest of the day telling them they mean, you know, they're, they mean nothing. Like what message do you think they're going to hold on to the most? Right. So it's the repetition and for at least three to four weeks, this is why I give my clients with their personalized audio at the end of the session, because the session um, does the work. But the audio makes sure they stay that way because that creates the new neural pathways, the new the new thought processes. I say it's the same as learning the words to a song. It's repetition. And mm -hmm. then once you memorize and learn those words, those neural pathways are there. And then what happens is you're walking along and you just start humming the song without even thinking about it because changing that's the how earworm. you're changing the earworm. Absolutely. So I changed the critical thinking airworm to one of more positive thinking to what you want by removing the root cause first. So that's important. To remove the root cause, what I'm curious to know about, Diane, is the layers of protectiveness because you've described most, um, yeah. back to using the word addiction, but most substance misuse is a distraction from pain towards pleasure. Absolutely. Um, and so there's something that's stopping people wanting to address yeah. a pain until they get to a situation, presumably, where they're forced to. And what I often wonder is what stops people giving themselves permission to address their pain? Is it that it just hurts too much? There's too much shame connected to it? What what's the what are the typical barriers towards getting giving yourself permission to address right. the pain? Um, well, I don't know if it's permission or out of need. Like this is in many times what we call rock bottom, right? Where it comes to, like I had a client who, ha who had a lifetime of struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. And in the 90s, um, he, he was arrested. It was in university. He was arrested. And then, you know, he thought, oh, I got to quit. And then within a couple of months, he was using, picked up again. And then he got in a car accident and almost killed someone and himself. And that's when he was like, I cannot pick up ever again. But that was the 90s. And about a year ago, 
uh, I worked with them because he said, I know I will never pick up. He's got a beautiful wife and family, like children. You know, he said, I know if I pick up, my life is over, but I still have cravings. My mind is still giving me these cravings, telling me to pick up. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I want those gone. Mm -hmm. So he still had cravings for drugs and alcohol, even though he said he would never use. It's still like something that's difficult to manage and have to feel every day you know, and he had one behavioral addiction left that he couldn't shake. And um, within one session, he had completely cleared those. We got to the root. We got to why he developed this, because this is a thing like regular talk therapy. And I have nothing against that because a lot of people like it and it works for them. But, you know, if people are in talk therapy for months and months and months, and they're just, it's not working, it's there's temporary relief, but then their emotions keep coming back. That's what's coming from their subconscious mind. That's what I address. And he said to me, he texted me within 48 hours and he said, it's gone. They're gone. What did you do to me? I feel like this is just temporary. And I said, oh no, you're, you, we completely dissolved the cause of it and like your cause of it. And now we're installing what you want. And over the next four weeks, because I stay in touch with my clients for a month while they're listening to the audio. And he just kept saying, this is extending into my relationships with my family, into my relationships with my wife, my kids. You know, he, he said, this is just amazing. You know, and I had another young client who was battling anxiety for years. She couldn't hold down a job. She was constant medication. And, you know, within two weeks, she had a job of the session with me. And within three or four days, she messaged me and she said, I can't thank you enough. I feel like I'm living the best version of myself, but it feels so surreal because it feels unfamiliar. There's that familiar, unfamiliar thing, right? That she's mm -hmm. never felt that way before because her mind never allowed her to feel that way before. But when we were familiar and comfortable, and you've got to have got to a point where the, you just can't wear that coat anymore. Exactly, because you've outgrown it. It's like, you know, Brene Brown, um, in one of her videos, she talks about how we grow up with this armor, but then eventually we outgrow it, but we don't know how to get rid of it. This is how we get rid of it. Like a, sh a snake shedding its skin, you've got to- Absolutely, absolutely. And why I'm so excited about this new method and the new research in neuroscience is because we now know there is no- reason, Kate, in this decade for anyone to have emotional struggles. There is no reason. There are so many ways now to improve that and quickly, especially through hypnosis, which Stanford University calls the future of therapy because it works so quickly and it completely works with our subconscious minds. So it is very powerful. Like um, Marissa Peer, who's a brilliant woman that created this, who's from UK, we talked about her before, who created this method. She said, you know, if you have chest pains and you go to your doctor, he's not going to say, come back and talk about that next week. You know, like, how does that make you feel? He's going to send you to a heart specialist and figure out why you're having chest pains and deal with that directly. And that's exactly what I do with my clients when they're having emotional pain, not just talk about it, but let's figure out why you're having it, where this is 
coming from. And when you can uncover that, it is life-changing. It's a game changer. And what I think what I'm hearing there is compared to the talk therapy, talk therapy won't access the things that you want to avoid anyway, or the things your subconscious is trying to avoid because it's repressed or... Well, some, I mean, like I said, every individual is different, but it's a much more lengthy process. Absolutely. Because it's again, repetition, but it may be breaking down that root cause much more slowly or, you know, because people can still have epiphanies in a conscious state with their therapist, but it might take a lot of talking to get there. Right. Um, some people prefer that method, but other people, like I had a client, um, in her early fifties who struggled with a lot of anxiety for years and years. And she had been in therapy for years. And she came to me and she said, you know, me and my girlfriends get together and all we talk about is our therapy sessions. And I said, okay, is this working for anyone? And they all said, no. And she's like, why are we spending thousands of dollars on this? You know, she's like, I'm going to go find something, someone else. And that's when she found me. And within three weeks, she was completely relieved of it. But I also, I also say to my clients, even though you feel relief quickly, some within hours, I say, keep listening to the audio because it's like taking antibiotics. Even though you feel better, you got to finish it off just to make sure, right? Also treatment to get the result. Absolutely. I think you're also ex explaining though why the propaganda works too, because it's that repeated repetition that is addressing your perception of self or perception of your environment. Yeah. And what you're describing is choose the propaganda that you feed yourself absolutely positive about you and your way you exactly are. again your mind does the driving but you tell it where to go mm. like you are the boss of you not your mind if your mind is giving you uncomfortable thoughts say whoa 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 wait a second why are you giving me that thought i don't believe that mm. right i may have been taught that but consider the source look who taught me my mom taught me that but her mom taught her that and how great is it for me to take control and be the powerful woman that I can be today and stop that generational cycle and not fill my daughter with that propaganda build my children up like I had a person in my Facebook feed one time say about a year ago say how do I make my kid tough and people are like oh I gotta do this gotta do that and then I said are you kidding me I said tell them they can do anything tell them that they are powerful that they are strong that they are smart that they are capable that they should be excited about their future that they can do anything they want that's how you build a child up or even yourself. Self-praise is important. Um, Marissa repeatedly teaches us that criticism will wither us and praise will build us up. So even at your, you know, to yourself, um, you know, take the negative talking out of your vocabulary, the negative self-talk, like 
it, it takes a while, right? Like I used to say to myself, like I caught myself one time when I was, I've told this story a lot of times, but it's just an example um, where I'd leave the house and I'd forget my keys inside. And immediately you go, oh, that was stupid. It's like, no, it wasn't stupid. I was focusing on something else. So now I'm just going to go back in and get them because I remembered it, right? And now I'll carry on with my day. <clears throat> and so it's how we talk about ourselves and what we tell ourselves. Again, what we tell ourselves, the words we say to ourselves and the visualizations, the pictures that we make in our imagination. Picture yourself where you want to be next year. Picture yourself how you want your day to go. Picture yourself being on that stage, talking to people. Picture yourself feeling calm and then associate a positive emotion with it, right? Because our minds will not only drive us, like we said, away from pain, but towards pleasure. So if it thinks that feeling calm and comfortable and confident is pleasure, then that's the direction it will lead you in once you repeatedly tell your mind that. So a lot of people are still struggling with the amount of uncertainty that is just in their environment because the topsy-turviness of the last few years is continuing in one way or another for many people. What I really hear you're saying, though, is that you have the opportunity to become the boss of you, of yourself, of your mind. And does that then help individuals navigate their environment and the yeah. rules and dictats of others yeah. and the gaslighting of others? Yeah. 100%, Kate, you hit it on the head. Because again, understand that our mind is making us feel uneasy with all this uncertainty because the mind likes routine. The mind likes patterns, right? It holds on to those patterns. And when every day our life is changing, the environment is changing, people are changing, there's loss, there's, you know, Un unhealthy gain. There's all kinds of, and you're trying to navigate through that. We try to control our environment, but we cannot. And when you surrender to that and realize that the only thing you can control are your thoughts and your visualizations, mm. and that is what makes you the strongest person that you can be. Mm. Yeah. Because you can't help other people unless you build yourself up and have that strength and resilience, you know, like we've all had broken hearts, but um, Marissa talks about how when broken hearts are put back together, kind of like one of those Kintsugi Japanese vases, right? Oh, yes. Right? They're more beautiful now. Or when um, a weightlifter, wants to increase muscle, what does he do? He breaks it down first, right? He breaks down that muscle so that it will grow to become stronger. And that's exactly what happens to our hearts and our minds as well. So I often use the example of sometimes we've just got to unpack, and this isn't about emotional pain, but about whatever it is that I'm helping somebody with. We've just got to unpack the sock drawer and it's only then you can choose which socks you're going to pair and keep and the ones Absolutely. That... And then get rid of the socks that are taking up room that you don't need. They're always in the way. 
It's an emotional duster, clear out to yeah. make space for the good and the good perception and your dreams yeah. and your things and your goals. Yeah. yeah. And I suggest just closing your eyes, you know, because when we close our eyes, we're less focused on the external and we're mo more focused on the internal. Like when clients are kind of saying, what is it like to work with you? Like, what is that relaxation like? And I say, well, picture, you know, being in your last therapy session. I mean, I've had a few uh, years ago, um, you know, when I was dealing with my husband. Ex picture yourself being in that therapy session. What are you focusing on? You're focusing on everything external. Me, I used to watch the therapist. Oh, what shoes is she wearing? What's she writing on her clipboard? I look at the plaques on the wall, at the knickknacks on the shelves. Like you look at everything externally. And when the therapist will ask you a question, you answer with your critical thinking mind. You're answering in a way that you feel that they want to hear or that you feel safe enough being vulnerable. Like I will only want to be vulnerable this much. So this is how I'm going to answer that question. But if you now imagine yourself with a completely relaxed body, as if you're in a massage or on a massage table with your eyes closed, and those questions are being asked of you, you're going to answer in a completely different way because you are focused on your thoughts. You are focused on your internal state and not your external environment. And that's all it really is. And when people say, yeah, I do that when I'm in therapy, <laughs> I'm always just giving them the answer I think they want to hear. And it's like, but we're paying these people, you know, hundreds of dollars. Like, why are you doing that? Well, because they might judge me. So people even fear judgment of their therapists, you know, but when you're going to tell yourself what you want to tell yourself and visualize what you want to visualize, just close your eyes for a minute, you know, and say those things repeatedly to yourself and picture yourself where you want to be. And that's, you know, I mean, the spiritual world calls it manifestation, but you know, there is a point now, and even more so, I believe, in the next 20 years, where we're going to get where science meets spirituality. Like, it's, Joe Dispenza talks about it now, about how, and I believe Bruce Lipton, about how when we get to that other level of consciousness, that's where we begin to connect with the our environment greater than our immediate environment right? Greater than that. So I'm glad you've brought up spirituality because I think sometimes it, well, it definitely does. It's completely confusing when people talk about chakras, spirits, souls, subconscious, help. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm Yeah. I am a spiritual person. I'm not so strong into it that I know all of the chakras and I hold crystals and all of that. And many people do, but that's fine, right? That's their beliefs because when those beliefs are so strong, it's going to work. It's the same. I'm not saying crystals are placebo, but I'm, you know, yes. saying just like when, um, you know, someone is given a placebo, if they think that's going to be the cure for their cancer, then their cancer is going to go away, right? This is how powerful our beliefs can be. So when we believe we're not good enough, what's going to happen, right? 
we're, we're going to be inactive um, because our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings create our actions and our actions create our life. So my clients will come to me saying, I know I should be able to do this. You know, I'm a powerful person. You know, I've got clients that have worked them their way up to be, you know, vice president or president of international companies or CEOs. And they say, but I've got this block. There's something holding me back. And it's really beginning to, beginning to like make me mad. You know, it's like, then you're at the perfect stage of readiness to get rid of it. So I work with them once and they're completely cleared and then they get to go after what they want because their mind understands that that is what they want. That is what they are demanding. That is what they require. Those are the instructions that it is being, that it is absorbing. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much for your help, oh. and your insights and your knowledge today, Diane. It's been My really pleasure. insightful. And I'm sure the listeners will have got a lot of confidence and reassurance from listening to you and inspiration to give themselves permission to take whatever action it is they feel is right for them. Yeah, to let go of what is holding them back, you know, because somebody gave them something at some point and they can choose to put it down any time they want. They don't have to keep carrying it. Absolutely. Um, but if people do want more information, they can go to my website about how I work, what I do, who I serve. Um, it's Advanced Mind Health, and that's in Canada, so it's .ca. And you can book a call with me, just even if you want to chat more about, you know, get any more insights. And um, thank you so much for this platform. I love getting my message out and it was a pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome.